welcome to Season 4 of Sundays with Wendy, Finding Your Healing Tribe on the Cancer Journey. This season, we dive deeper into conversations sharing healing resources around cancer, and it is also the heart of our work at the Benjamin Goldberg Foundation. Thank you for listening. To learn more, visit BenjaminGoldbergFoundation.org. Today, we explore Reiki as a cancer resource. I have three amazing guests, Dr. Susie Tator, who has a private practice in dance movement therapy called Dancing Dialogue. She is also a member of Sloan Memorial Kettering's Integrated Medicine Team. Jen Whitley provides dance movement therapy at Dancing Dialogue and has been with MSK's IM team since 2012. Wendy Miner, prior program director of Soft Touch at Memorial. Well, welcome. I have Susie Totora, Wendy Miner, and Jennifer Whitley with me today as we are going to talk about Reiki. Nice to be here. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting us. I'm going to start with Wendy Miner. Wendy, can you share with us the definition of Reiki and how it can be used in a medical setting? I'd be happy to. So there are many, many definitions of Reiki, and I'm going to start with that. It's a Japanese spiritual healing practice that involves hands-on slightly off the body or from a distance that can activate people's own healing energy towards having a balanced, healthy, and meaningful life. It was applied and taught in the U.S. by a Hawaiian Reiki teacher who learned in Japan and then brought it back. Her name was Mrs. Takata. She worked primarily on the Hawaiian Islands from the late 30s through the late 60s, and in 1970 started traveling by invitation to Canada and to the continental U.S., as they used to call it. So in 10 years, um, she taught many, many people and left 22 Reiki teachers that could continue the tradition. It's classified Reiki as a biofield therapy, and I think that's important to mention in that biofield is different from biomedical, which is what most Western medical practitioners, how they see the body and how it works. It's based on a mechanical and a chemical approach to addressing symptoms associated with psychological conditions. Biofield is the subtle body energy that is within us and extends out maybe up to eight feet. It allows for information to flow within and between the levels of us. The delivery of Reiki as a biofield therapy can affect the body's own energy field to promote therapeutic benefit and regulates and maintains the system. But it's also important, I think, to define Reiki as an outgrowth of your own practice as a practitioner. What is your ongoing practice? How do you interface with Reiki? What does it mean to you? How does it affect you? How has it improved your life? Your own clinical experiences using Reiki and patients' responses and even extending out to family caregivers and professional staff sense of how Reiki is helping their patients. Particularly in a cancer center, what we all want to do is minimize side effects, minimize symptoms for which there may be few prescriptions, medications that can address it, where if they are, they may carry side effects that are not particularly wanted or desired by the patient or the team. The other thing is when you're defining Reiki, I think it's very important to be related to the person you're speaking to and understand when they ask you, what is Reiki? What are they asking you? Are they asking you as a patient, is it safe? Are they asking you, what's going to happen to me when you do this if they're new to Reiki? So you could outline 
We're going to do it right here on your hospital bed. You're going to leave your robe on, your clothes on. I'm going to place my hands on your body. And it's not going to be pressure. It's just going to be a resting light presence. At any time, you have control and autonomy to tell me to stop. If it's at a hospital grand rounds for physicians, you're going to approach it maybe starting with the biofield therapy and a more formal definition. What they want to know is, again, is it safe? And when should I prescribe it? When should I refer a patient to it? What is it good for? Is it good for neuropathy for our chemotherapy patients? Is it good for extreme fatigue? What about social isolation, which is an underestimated issue? What does it do for pain, whether it's post-surgical pain, the treatment side effects, or the disease pain? And then you always want to talk about the benefits. It's safe. Although there were not a lot of studies, there have been very, very few adverse events, which in research is very important. It's low cost. It's easy to deliver. It's personalized medicine. It's between the therapist and that one unique patient. It's non-procedural touch, particularly a hospital setting, whether it's a cancer setting or just a general hospital. Patients get so much touch that is procedural. The staff are touching the patient to deliver something that sometimes is uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Our touch is light, it's minimal, and they always have permission to stop the treatment. Non-pharmaceutical. No equipment required, so there's not some noisy machine parked beside your bed. It's easily integrated into the healthcare system and it complements mainstream medical care. can be delivered, and we've delivered at a memorial when I was there, chemotherapy infusion sites, ICU floor, outpatient centers, outpatient surgical sites, radiation sites, and even to professional caregivers. So to date, the benefits that Reiki carries, borne out by research, it's reduction in pain, whether it's post-surgical, chronic, addresses hypertension, anxiety, fear, and professional burnout, social isolation, which I mentioned a while ago, Mm -hmm. and promotes or enhances sleep quality and promotes relaxation for both the practitioner who's delivering the care and the receiver and can support the patient's involvement as being part of their own healthcare team, which is really important. So this idea that this treatment is helping you as a practitioner maybe move from sympathetic to parasympathetic regulation, where it's about uh, rest, immune system is maybe given a little boost. That's really important because many other treatments, while they're beneficial, may be hard on the practitioner, on the therapist, on the nurse, on the medical team. I think you also were interested in hearing about a number of hospitals and centers in which Reiki is provided in the U.S. I'm going to tell you where this number comes from and why I think there's accuracy to it. The Center for Reiki Research, which was established in 2019, dedicated to Reiki research and scientific education in an attempt to provide peer-reviewed studies that people could look at and use in developing a program and introducing a program in a healthcare setting. On their website, it stated there were a thousand Reiki programs in U.S. hospitals. I do want to say this. Hospital programs are in constant flux. Funding can dry up, and many integrative programs in which Reiki might be included in as an offering are funded programs. When that funding, whether it's through a grant or philanthropic funds, When that funding ends, the hospital may not be able to continue 
offering it as a service. Uh, example, during COVID, much of the integrative therapies that involved hands-on were eliminated during much of that time. So many patients and probably many hospitals didn't have that available. So there are many reasons that that number can be in a state of flux, though I certainly love that number because I think the more Reiki is available, the more people can receive its benefits and perhaps go on to learn it. So there is a list of about 80 hospitals that provide Reiki. I'm going to just give you a short list so it's not limited to just these hospitals, but they're big hospitals that are prominent and deliver really excellent care. John Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, Stanford Medical Center, Mass General Hospital, Yale, UCLA Medical Center, Duke Integrative Medicine, New York Presbyterian Hospital in Columbia, and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And I know, Wendy, you just mentioned the emergence of a new integrative program in your hometown, which I'm always glad to hear about. The thing I wanted to talk about is key research to date. Basically, at the end of every peer-reviewed research publication, there's always a byline. More studies need to determine efficacy, which means we learned something. This is what we learned, but we need more. We need more patients enrolled. We need less risk bias, and we need better controls and the use of outcome measures to make this really reliable and so that people are comfortable, physicians, in referring it. Is Reiki more effective than placebo? So usual standard care could be placebo. Sham Reiki could be placebo, in which you ask people who have not been trained to use a standardized hand placement and just deliver the same protocol as the people who are delivering it with the patients not knowing if the person giving them Reiki is attuned or trained or not. And if it is effective, for what specific complaints and conditions and how long the treatment benefits will continue. Will it go away within an hour? Will it go away within 24 hours? In our case, when we did sort of outcome trial, we found that inpatients could not sustain the benefits for very long. And having done a lot of work with inpatients, it's a very busy, a very hectic schedule, lots of interruptions, and most patients are not allowed to be alone and quiet for even a half an hour without somebody coming in to check on them, all for good reasons, but nonetheless not therapeutic necessarily. What's the right dosage? How many sessions? How long should the sessions be? Over what time period? Is there a gold standard protocol? Is it important to identify what the credentials of the Reiki practitioner should be to achieve maximum benefit? Do you use someone who's trained Reiki 1, Reiki 2? Do you only use Reiki teachers or masters? And also at this time, most studies have not been able to identify the mechanisms, the action that make Reiki effective. If it works on biofield, we don't have a way of measuring that subtle energy field. And I do want to go just make a quick reference to the 2011 Wall Street Journal article, The Problem with Reiki. I want to then point out what's happened in the 11 years since then through a systematic review that just was published in July of this year. This was two authors who wrote a short article. The conclusions more or less were no evidence that Reiki offers medical benefits because the studies haven't really shown that to date. Now we move to 2022 because there's been a lot more research. And I think in large part, I credit William Rand and his group, Centers for 
Reiki Research, even though it's new, they've been operating as a group with three of the four current people at the board level with PhDs and all of them Reiki teachers or Reiki practitioners with clinical research experience. There was a systematic review that was released in Frontiers in Psychology this last month, Does Reiki Benefit Mental Health Symptoms Above Placebo? So that included depression, stress, anxiety, and burnout, more common in certainly family caregivers and professional caregivers, often referred to now as compassion fatigue. There were some very significantly positive conclusions high evidence for clinically relevant levels of stress and depression, moderate to high benefits for levels of anxiety, low to moderate for normal levels of stress, and low for burnout, and low for normal levels of depression and anxiety. So they found overall that the study with the most beneficial results um, delivered 45 to 60-minute treatments once a week for eight weeks. So there's a group affiliated with Ohio University and collaborating with Akron Children's Hospital And they've looked at two different groups. Uh, One group was one to five-year-olds on palliative care in hospital settings, delivering Reiki. And the second group was adolescents aged 10 to 19, at-home palliative end-of-life care, where they taught the parent over eight weeks, got quizzed again in Reiki so that they could utilize the protocol that was given to them and provided their son their daughter with 15-minute treatments, five a week for four weeks. And they both measured the parents' outcome measures and the patients. There have been very positive results. So I think these studies are very interesting. Oh, well, thank you, Wendy. That is great information. And I learned a lot. (laughs) (laughs) From the article, yeah. My Reiki training is not clinical. I studied out of hospital setting and did my Reiki 1, 2, and my Reiki master completed in 2019. But it was very interesting because during my master class, I was sitting there and I just kind of had a flashback to my time at Memorial Um, with my son, Ben, when we used and benefited from integrated medicine. And when we were in the rooms with some of the integrated medicine team, I did not have a vocabulary for energy work at that time, but I was like, wow, I think this is some of what was going on and what really helped our family during that time. And I attribute a lot of that energy work to taking a lot of the stress and anxiety out of those treatments, especially in the very beginning, and really bringing our family together and being 100% present for what was going on. And then then I started to see it differently because it was really truly about not only the patient, but the caregivers and the family and also the staff. I thought when all three of those were really in alignment, everything really went well those days. And I know, Susie, you and I met. It was the first day we were at Memorial during um, Ben's immunotherapy. I'll never forget it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. She walked in with a smile and a rain stick. And the rest is history. Susie, can you share with us a little bit about some of the benefit using Reiki with patients in that pediatric setting? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. The smile and the rain stick work with some families and for others, it was like, what is this? (laughs) But it did go very far. And I, I love everything, Wendy Minor, that you just shared in regards to all the research. And it's so wonderful to hear the arc of how it's changed. And you and I have been at hospitals for a long time from early days of integrative medicine. It's wonderful to 
feel the support we're getting now. And Wendy Goldberg, you brought up how important it is to have the staff engaged as well. And I think that that was always a goal that I had was that I was there to support the staff as much as the families because I found that there was so much tension, anxiety, worry, and fear that was in the room coming from the families, the children, especially the youngest children. And I was happy to hear, Wendy, that this last study you spoke about was about infants and teens because those are my two focuses um, in regards to this question with Reiki. And I found it so, it was so clear to me that if I could change the energy in the room, if I could change the feeling in the room and get all of us to start working together, that a flow would happen. And initially I didn't have the vocabulary that I was involved in kind of the energy of Reiki either. And then only over time with Wendy Minor being my first teacher, did I really learn how to use it purposefully and get trained and um, aligned to the whole Reiki energy. But I think that's the key is having this focused attention energetically. And I used to talk about it as the essence in the air. And that when I sensed what was going on in the room, my goal was always to find a, a way to create a presence and a calm. And that presence and calm could also be active. Sometimes we needed to get the children up and moving first to just kind of dissipate the anxious energy or the anger as well. But learning Reiki was really helped me to understand how to use that energy and um, how to really focus my attention from that way of connecting through light touch. And it's fascinating actually to do it with babies. Of course, I can't, I can ask them permission and I do find a way to ask permission, but some of it happens through the energy as well of just pausing with a, that light touch on their body and just waiting to see what I receive and what I feel coming back from them. And of course, I'm always talking to the parents and getting the permission from the parents and, and teaching the parents too, how to quiet their anxious energy to create a more, um, what I call embodied presence. And it's as if there's this calm or this shift that happens in the room. You can feel it, it's almost palpable. And putting your hand in just pausing and waiting to allow the child to register your presence through this quality of touch. And then as the practitioner to the clinician to, to feel a response back and then to, to pace yourself based on that nonverbal exchange is what I think is at the key of the work. Often with the babies, we're also attuning to their vocalizations. And because of course, often they're, they're worried, scared, crying, or there's a vigilance to their presence. And so what I really learned with the Reiki work was again, that pacing and that just that dialogue through touch and then moving down their body or I don't even always start at the head. Sometimes I start at the back or start at the belly, or start at the feet, really sensing where the baby's most receptive to receive that touch. And then as I was saying um, earlier, when we were preparing for this talk, the energetic quality of the touch is, is very powerful. And even 
I might even um, feel, as you were talking about, Wendy, this kind of energetic field that goes beyond just the physical body. And that's very interesting to, to sense that. It could be a tingling, it could be a heat, it could be kind of a rippling, um, a pulsing. And I just listen to that and again, love that dialogue that happens. My business is called Dancing Dialogue and I find that I'm always thinking about that dialogue. But the dialogue is myself and the child myself and the parent myself and the other practitioners in the room. Interestingly, working with teens, just to shift there for a moment, um, there you can really have a verbal dialogue with them. And it's really fun to get their response when you do this work. And sometimes they'll stop and say, wow, what was that? Or what are you doing right now? And, um, and then teens are really fun because they're open to exploration and they want to talk about chakras and colors and auras. And that's really fun too, to kind of be able to go there with them. Um, other times they will say, you know, I just, I just need to calm, or I like that light touch. That's something that they'll often say. But I think for me, coming from a psychotherapeutic standpoint, I, the main focus is that we're working from is really that energy of anxiety, fear, depression. Those are key focuses. And then of course, pain management, which is often feeding the anxiety, fear, and depression and again teaching the parents when that building that finding a safe way for parents to be able to engage with their children going back then to the babies as well um, having a tool giving the parents a tool through touch helps them feel a sense of agency because I think one of the things that happens with parents and I think you were implying this Wendy is that thing is happening to your child and you feel like you don't know what to, there's nothing you can do and creating these tools that are so simple as Wendy Miner was saying, it's it doesn't cost anything. It's non-invasive, all, all these great benefits of it. And it's right there with you, always have your hands with you. So this sense of agency the parent gets also calms them down because even if they can't control the cancer or the cancer treatment, there's something they're feeling that's successful mm -hmm. and that is something they can do. I think that's the hardest part is watching your child getting a treatment and then feeling helpless. So I think it really helps create a sense of agency. I can tell you it did. But Jen, you were also with us as well. You worked with Ben privately in therapeutic sessions. So can you share a little bit from the dance movement therapy lens? Yeah. So, you know, as Susie said, dance therapy is a psychotherapeutic approach that uses the body and movement as a way to process um, emotional content and integrate the mind, body, spirit, et cetera. So, you know, when I first started at MSK, there were patients that, um, you know, I knew I could help, but weren't necessarily going to be dancing or moving in any way. And so when I learned Reiki, it gave me another way to support um, the patient and you know, utilizing that from the DMT lens of incorporating the body and having them stay connected to the body, um, I felt was really powerful and really important as I started to use it more and more. And so most of the times when I do use it at MSK, uh, it is, you know, for comfort care, um, helping the, the patient to minimize pain. It can be so useful in that um, Susie created a 
approach uh, called multisensory dance movement therapy that I really use it a lot from that lens where the touch, you know, can be another way to, uh, to soothe or to comfort the patient, but also incorporates and keeps the patient connected to their body, which oftentimes can get rejected, or sometimes there can be a lot of feelings around their own body as they're going through all these treatments and how difficult it can be to stay with it. But I've found that Reiki can provide this a uh, really soothing experience to still be with the pain, but also have this experience of having something that feels that feels really good at the same time to really help to minimize that experience. I also like to use a lot of um, meditation and relaxing ocean music. I mean, really creating this whole scene uh, with the rain stick, you know, all of that. And I'll often talk to the patients beforehand, just, you know, kind of getting a sense of where they are, what's happening for them, really using my psychotherapeutic lens to start that conversation of, you know, where are you today? And then when I'm doing the Reiki work, I will take that into the work. And I might also have them think about an intention that they want to kind of bring into their life, you know, whether it's today, whether it's tiny, something very minute, or whether it's, you know, something for the whole year, you know, something that they just want to bring into the space, because I also see Reiki not only as, you know, healing energy, I see it as a time for them to reconnect to their own uh, self-worth. It's, you know, to me about self-love and bringing that energy. I'm just, you know, the conduit that brings that energy to them, but letting them have that experience of compassion for themselves, having that time to really reflect on where they are, uh, what their intentions are um, as they're going through, you know, all these things that can be so overwhelming and so overpowering. And so just really helping them stay with um, themselves and with, you know, what their needs are. And so I'll use that as I'm working with them and thinking about if they have a particular body part, I have them sometimes connect into a part of them that doesn't feel so good or that they're having pain and I'll, you know, like to connect their emotions to whatever that sensation is at the same time too, so that they can begin to have a, as Susie said, a dialogue, you know, with that sensation and maybe identify what the feeling might be underneath the pain. And so then I might focus that when I dip into the Reiki work with them, I might spend a little more time in that area. Sometimes patients will have an emotional release uh, in certain parts of their body. And so I also like to process that with them during the moment or after the fact. And that has led to some really rich discussion about where they are and, and everything that's happening, you know, around them, you know, helping them to understand, you know, where they are in the process of their treatment, but mostly just keeping them able to process what's happening for them in their body, which is so much uh, an aspect of our work, you know, around body awareness, um, helping them stay connected to their body, integrating all these different feelings that they're feeling, helping them to accept, you know, all the things that are happening um, with their body and the emotional content that's connected to that. Thank you so much for sharing. You guys have all come together and thank you for sharing such unique perspectives on Reiki because it's such important work. You know, I get so many questions on Reiki and this is just going to be a wonderful resource for people to listen. It's our pleasure. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Yeah.
Absolutely. I have to say, I love the work. So to be able to talk about it, it, it is really great, actually, because I, I really see so many benefits um, in the room moments where someone's having a, even like a visceral reaction to a treatment mm -hmm. uh, apart from, you know, maybe it was a bone marrow uh, transplant situation, et cetera. And I'll offer, you know, to give someone Reiki and, and I do it and immediately it's just like this wash comes over them. And it's just really powerful, actually. I love talking about it whenever I can. I, I like to share. It's not always fitting right. as well. <laughs> You know, and, but I think the more people understand the fundamentals and Wendy Meyer, you did such a beautiful job of defining this and sharing with our audience, how it's used and where it's used. So hopefully these conversations will pique some curiosity and other institutions or other health organizations would consider Reiki as a program or a pilot, like you said. Yeah. And I think it's something that if we just do quiet down, watch, listen, and feel, we it's there, it's present. And it's something that is very accessible if you're open mm -hmm. to understanding it. I hear more buzz about it or I hear more questions about it. So that just makes me think we're headed in the right direction. Well, my 92 year old mother now is happy to share that her daughter gives her Reiki <laughs> long distance. <laughs> so, I mean, things have changed, yes. Um, but I do think, um, Jen, it's really helpful for us to speak of the love and respect that we have for Reiki. I know when I've often, someone will, will ask, well, what is it? And I'll say, you know, it's one of my most favorite activities to be in. And my goal in learning Reiki was I was um, part of a large meditation group for many, many years and traveled back and forth to India. And my thought was, I hope that everybody can have the peace and the clarity that I have in some of my meditation. And, but I know they won't do what I've done to achieve that. It's not there in their game plan. And I could get that. So I felt that Reiki does deliver peace. And with peace comes quiet. And with quiet comes clarity. Or with quiet comes discovery. It may, not, it may be awkward. It may be painful. It may be scary. But in bite sizes, you can begin to look at it, walk around it, explore it, begin to understand more about yourself from which you're a more free person. And that's something actually that I've seen in, in situations where I've used Reiki at, in end of life situations. There is this settling, um, just thinking about some folks that had the almost like in panic moments, you know, and I would offer, uh, you know, option to, to provide Reiki. And as soon as I put my hands on their head, it's just like this, again, like it's a, just a washing over. And so, but I think it does bring that peace to that, Wendy, you can measure that. So. <laughs> yeah. When I do it and I do it on my friends and family, generally when they ask, and I asked everybody afterwards, can you tell me about your experience? And you know, every single person has always said, I feel so calm mm. is the first thing they say. I think it's that centering, and I think what Wendy and Jen were also saying is that there's a, it brings a level of acceptance. Even if you can't change what's going on, there's this way that it it just centers and calms, and that alone is emotionally supportive and therapeutic. I had a recent experience where my adult son was, um, we were at a big family event, and he suddenly got really sick. And um, as a mother, I just had to do something. So I just stood up and went behind him and just started doing Reiki on him. And he said, 
I don't know what you're doing, but I'm certainly <laughs> calming down. And he got really sick. I mean, we almost had to bring him to the hospital. And it was, um, we were in Mexico City and just had a whole event there. And it was so funny because he didn't have a clue, but it just had that effect in the midst of a whole celebration and everything else. So I think it's what you said, Wendy, I mean, it's always available. And that was really great. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, um, you know, it's like a form of prayer. I consider it mm -hmm. a form of prayer. And I, like you have mentioned, um, Jen and Susie, I love what happens in the room. Um, I have a story. This doctor came in to deliver very bad news to somebody. And he was standing over this person at her head. And I was at the feet doing Reiki or reflexology or something. I said, would you like me to leave? And he said, oh, no, that's going to be a lot better than what I need to talk to her about. And I said, okay. And I said to the patient, do you want me to leave? And she said, no, please continue. And at some point, he sort of like sensed something happening. And he sort of like took a sigh, his shoulders went sort of up and down. And then he sat down. And then he, it's like he took a breath. And then he started talking from having sat down. And he started talking to her about how many years he had known her and how, how much he enjoyed her. Wow. And wow. I went on to share it. And I thought if Reiki has this capacity to provide an environment in which that which is unacceptable can be heard. That was one of my favorite stories. That's beautiful. Everyone that does Reiki has a favorite story. And then you have 10. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, to reflect on them is, um, it's like another Reiki precept. Uh, so we call it spiritual. It's built on principles of daily life. And one is being grateful. That's yes. right. Well, I am grateful for all of you sharing this information with our community. It means a lot. And I think it's going to go very far. This information offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you should have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Do not disregard, avoid, or delay obtaining medical or health-related advice from your healthcare professional because of something you may have heard on this podcast. The use of any information provided is solely at your own risk.